you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth on wednesdays at 4 p.m eastern time i go live on facebook to share my design tips to answer your questions to talk about what's going on in my world. Well, I not only share it on Facebook, now I'm going to be sharing it on my podcast. So today you will be hearing a recording of my most recent Facebook Live. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a wonderful week. It is so good to be back with you, even though I am a little under the weather. Speaking of under the weather, there is someone under my desk who is also under the weather. My son is homesick and when I say home uh, I mean at my office because there's a bed here there's a bathroom and a kitchen and so this is our home away from home when I have to work and he's feeling under the weather and you know I'm joining him today and feeling a little bit scratchy and a little bit like I wanted to be home in sweats but there's too much to do we have so many projects going on just yesterday I was out and I had I don't know a 10-hour day My first eight hours were spent with a client in New Jersey, and we were shopping for her renovation. So we were looking at the current shell of the house, deciding what needs to stay, what needs to go in terms of tiles, walls, countertops. And then we drove to all the different vendors to find the items that aligned with their inspiration pictures, but also aligned with um, their budget, of course. And... The thing when I was going from vendor to vendor, I have a couple of tips when you're thinking about your renovation. The first is that you would look online first. Look at websites like House. Look at all the different before and afters. Narrow your choices down to some inspiration pictures that you can then take to the vendor. Because if you walk into that tile showroom, if you walk into that cabinetry showroom and see all the displays, see all the options, I guarantee you, even as a designer, you can get overwhelmed. 
I sometimes start to hyperventilate after about 45 minutes in there, looking at all the samples there, it's all start to look the same. Looking at all the different setups and vignettes, they all look so beautiful, and yet it's hard to keep your eyes focused on what you're looking for. So if you can keep referencing those pictures that you've looked at in advance, that you've had time to compare with your own space to make sure that the architecture aligns, then that will give you a lot of clarity in the moment, but it will also give the person that's helping you a lot of clarity. So the second tip I have when you're doing a renovation is that you would make an appointment with these different vendors. Don't just go in to the tile shop. Instead, call them ahead, give them a heads up and say, I'll be in at 1230 because you want a little bit of hand-holding, especially at the start. So even if you're going in with a designer, like they went in with me, I highly recommended making those appointments so that way we can all brainstorm together because they know their own product lines best. They can match what you're looking for with what they offer. Maybe there's even things that they offer that aren't on the showroom that you wouldn't even see if you were just looking through with your designer. So getting that expert in that store or shop's offerings is really invaluable. The next thing is not being afraid to make decisions. But how do you know if you're making the right decision? My favorite way to know is by process of elimination. So taking all of your options. In other words, yesterday we were looking for cabinetry. That's how we spent part of the time. So taking all the different options. We could do wood tone. We could do painted wood. We could do wood stain with a colorful stain. We could do white. We could do some kind of laminate. We wouldn't have to do white uh, wood at all. So we take all the options and we start eliminating. We know we're not going to go wood stain a color. That feels too rustic for what we're going for. We're now we're not going for all white because my client just happened to not like all white. So we were just eliminating, eliminating, eliminating until that pile became quite small and ultimately there was only one item left. So when in doubt, process of elimination. In fact, that's how I do a lot of my designs because that way clients don't second guess. So whether I'm creating a floor plan whether I'm choosing sectional versus sofa versus chaise, whether I'm talking about renovating your bathroom. When you start with the big picture and narrow, narrow, narrow versus starting with narrow and then worrying that you forgot about the other options that maybe should have been evaluated. So I love it that my clients know when we leave that store, we thought about everything. Even though we only thought about it for a second, we eliminated it intentionally. So there's no stone that we left unturned and they feel really confident about that. And that peace of mind is pretty invaluable when you're investing so much in not only the cost of the materials, but the cost of the labor that's involved with that renovation. The very last step when you're doing a renovation uh, in terms of making your final selections and setting that plan in motion is then to commit. So once you've done the process of elimination, once you've met with the vendor, once you've evaluated all the things you can do and narrowed it down to those inspiration pictures, then it's time to commit, to get those quotes and to say, let's go. Don't second guess yourself. Don't think about what's going to last you 20 years. No matter what you do, um, 10 years is really that timeline you should be thinking about because um, after 10 years, things are out of date anyway. Either they're looking 
like they've got some wear and tear or they're looking like you did it 10 years ago. Like I can easily recognize things that are 90s-tastic right now. So don't expect your renovation aesthetic to last longer than 10 to 15 years. So while it is a big decision and a daunting process, it's not your forever look. So keep that in mind too because I think sometimes people get really intimidated because they think they're never going to do this again. And that's not the case, right? So Kara, it's good to see you. Kyle, it was great to have you earlier. Hopefully you have caught our new 2.0 version. And in the meanwhile, I'm going to jump into some of your questions today. Now, as you know, I'm under the weather, so I'm just looking at them right now, but you will bear with me, I'm sure. So one of my questions that came in last week that I wasn't able to get to is from Ellen. And Ellen is actually a friend of mine. She's a makeup artist um, that I have used for my book and for some headshots. And while she's doing my makeup, we chat. And when she did my makeup most recently, she had some interior design questions. So I thought we would talk about them here. She writes, Hi, Betsy. I hope this email finds you well and that you enjoyed your holiday weekend with your family. I wanted to get in touch to pick your brain about a potential interior design certificate program. I know I mentioned the last time we did a shoot together that I've been thinking about my love for interior design and problem solving and what I could do with it. I've been doing a little research on online programs, and I was curious if there's any institutions that offer online programs that you would recommend. Perhaps some of the places your employees study I was looking at a few online programs, a 12-month program through the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. This one seems the most interesting to me. It offers a CAD course, which I am interested in learning. A nine-month program through the New York School of Interior Design. This one is the priciest and doesn't cover CAD. Or a program that you do on your own time with 12 months at the Interior Design Institute. It feels less like a college diploma program and doesn't offer CAD. Or a program that you do on your own time within 18 months at the New York Institute of Art and Design. Also, no formal CAD. It seems like there's a lot offered in the world of online design programs. I'd really love to find something that's progressive, creative, and thorough. Any suggestions or criticisms of criticisms of online plans wherever you have some spare time would be greatly appreciated. I look forward to hearing back, Ellen. Okay. Okay, so as many of you know, I did not actually go to interior design school. I went to the School of Hard Knocks. I learned along the way. I've been in business for 12 years. But before this, I was an intern at Tom Felicia, and I got such great hands-on knowledge there. It was really the best internship and the best school I think I could have attended. That being said, I... If I had it to do all over again, I would attend some kind of school. And I do think that an online program offers the most flexibility. When I first started, I looked at um, an in-person program at FIT because that was the most affordable offered in the New York City area. And I think that that would have been really great to take specific night courses versus a complete program. My advice to somebody who already has a career and is thinking about starting a new career is to figure out what areas of the industry you want to be working in. Because most interior designers do not design every day. Most interior designers spend a lot of time in front of the computer doing CAD, spend a lot of time billing, spend a lot of time pushing papers and sitting at their desk. Very few designers are out in the field every day. 
So working at Tom Felicia, I saw all the different elements of what a designer has to do. And I knew which ones I wanted to do and which ones I did not want to do. I did not want to do CAD. I did not want to do 3D renderings. I did not want to sit at a computer all day. I wanted to meet new clients. I didn't want to work with the same client for eight months to eight years. I wanted to give them a plan and I didn't want to micromanage every detail of making that plan happen. I didn't want to do anything custom. I didn't want to shop at the D&D building and control how big the piping is on every single chair. I just wanted to give them a great space and then go to the next person. I wanted to have a lot of impact. I wanted to meet a lot of people. And high-end designers work with just a few clients at a time. And they work on just a few houses at a time. And then they continue to work with those same people for many months, if not years. I think if you're not starting out and you have the time, I would recommend that you um, find a way to dabble in the industry or to find out what kind of jobs are available there. Because what you need for one interior design job, say it's more architecture heavy than decoration heavy, would be different than what you need for somebody else. I would hold off on the CAD. CAD is very intensive. It's very expensive. It's not even a program you're going to personally own if you open up your own design firm because it is so expensive. And there are wonderful floor plan creators out there that cost a fraction of the price or that are free. Therefore, CAD is not the first place I would start. CAD is a place I would start if I know I want to work at a really big firm and I know I want to be helping with their drafting because a lot of really big firms actually hire people who specifically just draft all day. So that may not even be something that's a value um, for you when looking for a job. However, knowing some kind of program will be a value. Um, I just don't think that you know enough about the landscape. So rather than starting with the certification program, I would start with some specific classes. So see if there's a place online or in person, since you are based in the New York area, where you could just take a couple of classes about the topics in interior design that currently intrigue you the most. And then listen to some podcasts. One is called... Um, a well-designed business. That gives you sort of the back-end look at design businesses. And immediately when I listen to that podcast, I think, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I don't do that element of this business. Or I'm so glad that I focus on this element. So just figuring out what does a designer really do every day? Is that what I want to be doing every day? And then once you've taken a couple of classes that of course could lead to a certification later, and once you've asked some questions maybe of a specific designer or listened to some of those podcasts, then I think you'll have a clearer idea as to your next step. Because my way of working is very different than most people's. And I think for me, I crafted this business around how I wanted to work when I reacted to how I didn't want to work. And that was very valuable. So if you have the opportunity to do an internship, boy, oh boy, would I jump at it. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, 
With the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Okay, I have some live people joining me. Hi, Roseanne from Boston. Hi, Kyle. I'm glad you found us back. Grace, hi. I miss you so much. Grace owns an amazing shop, well, a series of shops here in the New York area called Pink Olive and offers such adorable home goods and cards and candles and all of it. And I was a big fan before I even knew her because I shopped at her store all the time in Park Slope. And Eddie, hi. Yes, we do help with backyards. We don't do any landscaping, so we are not plant people. But we help pick out outdoor rugs. We help select outdoor furniture. We love putting together patios and decks and porches. So definitely call us or check out our website, affordableinteriordesign.com. We probably have a good plan for you. But let me get to Kyle's live question here. Kyle, you wrote, Betsy, I know you did artwork. Do you still do it now? If you did, would you struggle to separate the art from the piece you want to hang on your wall? Um, that is an interesting especially because now I buy a lot of art and I get a lot of client reactions to art. And the art that I used to create, I don't actually think would be super marketable to my clients or even the designs that I make, even though I would buy it. Okay, so let's get clear first of all that I no longer do art. That even hurt me to just say out loud. I no longer do art um, because I feel that I express myself artistically with my client work. So creating designs for my clients, selecting the perfect things for them, and making my mood boards, which I spend a lot of time on and really value that process. Well, that's my new baby. That's where I get a lot of artistic fulfillment. And doing art for me took a long time because I do photorealism paintings. So not only does it involve a big spread out in terms of lots of acrylics and oil paints and waters and brushes and canvases. Um, but now I don't have an excuse for that because I do have a house where I do have room that I could do that. But also it takes a lot of time. Photorealism is tedious. And I actually think that who I am now and what I have now going on in my life with a family and a business, I would work much more quickly. I would probably work a little bit more abstractly and wouldn't be so caught up. in. I would literally spend like four hours on one line. I'm not even kidding you <laughs> because I refuse to use a ruler because I thought that that was cheating. Whatever. Uh, I, I had my own process, Kyle. But um, but now I wouldn't do it that way, so I think I could generate artwork more quickly. I also do a series of cartoons, and I used to do the cartooning a lot, like on every birthday card for all my friends. I used to hand make my Christmas cards with custom cartoons, and I do do custom cartoons every year for my husband for Father's Day, but that is really the last time I dabbled in that as well. 
Uh, I foresee going back to art when my career is less challenging. But for right now, Mama is tired, so tired. And I'm getting a lot of artistic fulfillment through podcasts, through creating designs, etc. Um, and what my clients are looking for is a more sort of generic type of art. That photorealism isn't for everyone because they have to really love the subject that you're painting. Um, and I would pick some pretty wacky subjects. <laughs> but... Uh, so I think the more abstract, more gestural, more colorful, more uh, negative space kind of look appeal to my clients. And I would probably try and give them what they're asking for because I know what I'm always looking for that I can't find at a good price. And I also know how long it might take to create and it wouldn't take that long. So maybe I should start making art for my clients. All right. Uh, Kyle, you're doing a painting for your wall right now and you have the same feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I really love my art. And if I would have seen somebody else painting it, I would have bought it. But my tastes are not my client's tastes. And as I mentioned, they like abstract, gestural um, landscapes. They love photography. And none of that is really my personal bag in terms of creation, even though I really appreciate it. And it's probably also what I might want to hang, too. All right. Roseanne has a question for me. I have a question on reworking a long salon. Long salon? Do you mean that? Or, or maybe living. Okay, sorry. I thought you were talking about nail or hair salon. This is why I read the questions in advance. Um, that has been used as a living dining space in my European flat. I would like to rework the space so that we don't have two dining areas. Well, that makes sense. So it sounds like you have a really long room. And you're trying to figure out some functions that you could give to that room to break it up so that you don't have two eating spaces. So I agree. You shouldn't have two eating spaces unless one is used for like cooking classes and one is used for your personal um, eating or if one is used as like a breakfast nook and the other is used for formalized entertaining. That being said, in a really long room, the best way to break it up is not with walls or even screens or curtains, but with furniture and rugs. Delineating the separate areas with different rugs can help you visually define where one zone ends and the other zone begins. I also like to visually define the room with furniture. So putting a sofa in the middle of the room so that the back faces one part of the room versus hugging the wall can be um, a really nice way to kind of break things up, even using a sectional arm. And then the arm that is perpendicular to the wall can help to create that other room. And, you know, in a long salon, I always think about what are the other functions I want to do here? Do I want to have a desk area? Do I want to have a reading nook that feels separate from the TV viewing area? Do I want to have a game area or a play area for my kids? So, I mean, you're at... Um, a really lucky place, Roseanne, because you have a long space and you don't have enough functions to fill it. But boy, could I help you with some ideas. A bar, a lounge area. Um, yeah, I have a lot of ideas. Most of my clients have too many functions and not enough space. So enjoy your problem, Roseanne. Uh, Betsy, it's good to you. And let's see, any other live questions? Oh, Sig, you have a question. All right. So, um, Sig, you wrote, I have a full sofa in my bedroom. I'm thinking about moving it to the foot of my bed facing away from the bed. Of course. I saw that look in magazines. What do you think? 
So I think that you need to have a high bed in order to do that. The back of a sofa is generally 30 to 36 inches high. The top of a bed, if it doesn't have a box spring, is typically 24 to 26. That means that the top of your sofa would be higher than the foot of your bed and that would look wackadoo. You want them to be a little bit more in line. So ideally you've picked a low type sofa like a settee. And ideally, you have a bed that's accommodating a box spring that's more at a 28 to 30 inch height level. So that way they're kind of meeting, right? And that way it doesn't feel like the sofa is so much bigger than the foot of the bed. And when I'm lying in bed and here's my feet, I'm not staring at the back of a sofa because I think that might look like you just put a couch at the foot. Also, you don't want the sofa to be wider than the bed's width. So a queen bed with frame is 65 inches wide. A king bed with frame is 85 inches wide. And a typical sofa is between 80 and 90. So of course, I would not put a big sofa at the foot of a queen bed because you don't want it sticking out at the edge, creating like a T with the sofa here and the narrower bed here. Another thing to keep in mind is that... It's a little bit tricky to do this with a good look because a bed has a nice depth, of course, of 65 or 85 as we discussed, but then a sofa typically has a depth of between 34 and 36. So it's just a really big moment and I hope you have a really broad bedroom that can handle all that because you still need a 30 to 36 inch walkway in front of the sofa and you need to be looking at something from the sofa. A sofa is a formalized seating area so there needs to be a very interesting focal point opposite that bed so that there's a compelling reason why you would even sit on the sofa. So is there a TV? Is there art? Is there an amazing view, a bay window? So that sitting at the sofa feels like something you would want to do versus just the fact that you had an extra sofa and plopped it at the foot of your bed. I'm more inclined to put a bench there, something that feels like less formalized seating, something that feels more casual and decorative versus sit on me and have a snack. Um, but, you know, I'm open. If you meet all the above criteria, go for your sofa, Sig. All right. Well, I don't think I have any more live questions. And as I mentioned, I'm not feeling good. So I'm going to go make myself some tea. I'm going to go, um, well, I'm going to continue to sit right here in my sweats. But I'm also going to take care of my little boy who's down here lying on the carpet feeling not so good. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about.
A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.